Welcome to another edition of Across the Line. On this episode, we dive deep into youth development. The nitty-gritty of how to get your child into the best possible position to succeed in his particular field or sport or creative artistry. Um, yeah, we dive deep in that in this conversation. So um, if you like it, if you like this episode and enjoy the content that we provide, please do subscribe to the show on YouTube, Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts. Drop us a line. Not just rate and review, but drop us some comments. We'd love to spark a conversation and perhaps address it on a future episode. So there you go. Enjoy the episode and another Football Friday from us here at Across the Line. Hello, folks. Welcome to another edition of Across the Line. Jing Hamlang and Chris Greatwich Hello on the there. show, as you? always. Uh, we'd like to thank everybody for supporting the last episode on Alvin Ocampo. It was a fantastic episode, and I, I think uh, you did a great job, Chris, on this one. A lot of people have been tuning in, and they've been very interested and enthusiastic about the conversation you guys have had. Yeah, yeah, it's... I, I agree. It's probably just because it was me on the show and you weren't there. Yeah, yeah. My absence might have had a little bit to do with Maybe it. Maybe that's what it was. But I, no, I, I think I think it's an episode that resonates with a lot of people. Um, he's outspoken, isn't he, Alvin? Mm. And, and um, he didn't really mince his words. He was very clear, very concise about his beliefs and his desires for what he wants from Philippine football. And um, I think it's quite refreshing. Yeah. I think it's quite refreshing. So... I don't think many people are out there talking openly and frankly mm. about the current situation of, of Philippine football. But I do think, based on the evidence of the feedback that we've had from the general public, based yeah. on even the analytics of, of what we've, we've got from the producers, etc., that it's the type of episode that people want to, want to listen to because ultimately, people want the truth. Yeah. They don't want it to be sugar-coated. They don't want some smoke and mirrors. They want to know what the truth is and also it's a slightly different perspective because a lot of the guests that we've had on the show have had it from a perspective of someone like myself um came from a system outside yeah um uh, you know we've had people with trying to push that certain, certain agenda so for example anton was speaking about it from perhaps a more organizational standpoint sure. but this was the first time of having someone who's come through the system who's still working in the system uh is a product of the system yeah. uh, and then is able to have a more 360 overview of as a holistic what what youth football is all about here in the Philippines. For individuals who are of a newer generation, perhaps not that familiar with Alvin Ocampo, uh, people of his generation speak of him like he is one of the best. Yeah, definitely. Uh, hands down, actually, the best of the, of that generation. They, he really was a good football player, highly respected amongst his peers, and has been decades into the in, in the industry as a coach, uh, as a player. So, you know, he's got definitely that perspective. As he's got you the mentioned. credentials, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I think as well, the, the good thing about getting someone like Alvin on the show yeah. is when someone like Alvin speaks, people listen. Yeah, yeah. People listen. People stand up and take notice. And, um, and people definitely did with that episode. The beautiful thing as well, he's just outside the realm or the scope of that circle of influence where he's tiptoeing around issues he wasn't that kind of character you know he went straight into mm -hmm. it and a, a lot of what he was talking about was you know obviously the youth that's what he's involved in you know a lot of youth development and what he feels are the pitfalls that we've been um, guilty of, of stumbling into and then areas where there is a whole lot of improvement to be had and uh, you you yourself a director of of youth football in the academy of kaya um, i'm sure you have a lot of um you've had a lot of um opinions in in and ideas of how to move forward in terms of the scope of Philippine football, I'm sure, right? Yeah, I, I have a way in which I think 
things should be done. Yeah. And the way in which uh, us as a club go about mm -hmm. our business. I don't ever profess for it to be the right way. Sure. Right. I, I don't, I don't there, there are many ways in which you can do this. Yeah. But what I, from my experience, I'm very cautious about saying what I believe because I think if you start saying things like, I believe this, yeah, yeah. then you open yourself up to, okay, well, if you believe this, you better back this up with this, this, and this. Sure. I've got no problem with that. But, but definitely in my experience, because I've had vast experience working within the youth football segment, yeah. um, the formulation of how we go about things at the, at the academy is from my experiences as a, as a player, from my experience as coaching in different countries and my, my now vast experience that I've had here in the Philippines. Yeah, one of the things that I enjoyed the most out of that conversation is um, the, the exact same sentiment that you just said right there. It's not, it's not we assume that we have the correct uh, approach moving forward, but what Alvin was talking about was he, his willingness to experiment with the with with the proper use of competition right if we had a proper competition that we can test chris great which is ideas mm. and my ideas mm. and let's let's make them clash on the pitch over the course of um, several age groups then we'll get an opportunity to see which approach is working better mm. right um i think that was one of the, one of the things that really stood out to me was listen we have all this knowledge we have all this capability to uh, develop these players in a particular manner but we don't really have a means to test out our ideas and yeah. if we had uh, a testing ground um, we would have an opportunity to let these ideas flourish or die mm -hmm. if the ones that don't work we can get rid of yeah. them you know what I mean we, we're not going to be fooled into thinking this is the way it's supposed to be when really yeah. nah man we, we tried that out in competition in two years and that 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 you know that that died that idea died so yeah it'd be nice to be able to have that i suppose moving forward right yeah i mean he talks about that is it, I, I always get it wrong coke coke for goal or something like that yeah, yeah. Was, that was called right? yeah, something, yeah. something like that coke and, for goal yeah and he he said as a as a player he really enjoyed that competition it was something that everyone looked forward to mm. and i think and then adidas did something for the older age groups yeah yeah so i think that was deemed as the sort of the premier tournament of those age categories, which I believe was 16s and 19s. I think I might okay. have got that wrong. Yeah, I, I, It wasn't something that I, I participated in or was yeah, involved me neither. with. Yeah. Or, or even to come across, but I've heard a lot of people talk about a it. A lot. And, and it seems to be, if that, that was like the de facto major tournament for yeah. any youth kid growing up of, of a certain age, certainly Alvin's generation. Mm -hmm. I mean, what, one thing I was a little bit, um, with that particular competition, is it, it seemingly was only for one age group. I might have got this wrong, yeah, but yeah. what he was saying is it was only for one age group. What I would like to see is, because it, then it gives a lot of pressure for one specific age group in one specific category. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, sure. If, if you want to have a development and really test the cycle, yeah. you know, you should be doing that over multiple age groups. So even, even like when I look at the youth leagues now, a lot of them are, are banded in two-year age brackets. So, for example, U7, U9, yeah, yeah. 11, 13s, and so on. A lot can happen in two years, mm. right? I, I'm even just going to look at, as an example, so relative age theory. Have you heard of that? No. Phrase? Okay. So, basically, if you go to the UK, I was the beneficiary of, of, of uh, relative age theory. So, relative age theory is 50% um, of elite players are from the first three months of a selection year. Now in England, the selection process starts September 1. Okay. Right, September 1. So the cutoff date is September 1. So if you're born August 31, 
Yeah. Is, that, is that the right thing? Well, late in August. Yeah, yeah. You don't make that age bracket. You're shit out of luck, basically, because you're going to be 11 months <laughs> younger right. than people in the same age, age bracket as you. I'm September 30. So I was the oldest in my age category. So what that means is, if I'm going to go into you seven, yeah. I turn seven and I'm seven for 11 months of that year. I see right? what you mean. And, and what that means, I'm going to be going up against a kid who could potentially be six years old. Yeah, yeah. Right? And in, that, in the grand scheme of things, that makes a huge difference. It makes a massive difference. I mean, if you look at kids, like I look at my, my two children, right? Yeah. And both of them are, are, are under, under the age of five. If you went and looked at them 11 months ago and see mm. where their physical development, um, motor skills, motor skills yeah. cognitive development even, uh-huh. it's humongous. It's humongous. I see. So what happens is, is a kid will come in, let's say me, I'll use myself as an example. I'll come in, I'm not bad, I'm pretty good. I'm physically probably more developed than some of the other kids in my age category. Therefore, I'm able to perform at a higher level. Mm. I'm then more confident because I am playing better than the kid who's probably 11 months sure. younger than me. Yeah. I'm physically more capable than the kid who's 11 months younger than me. Yeah. Um, therefore, I am deemed to be a better player. I am then able to elevate my game and rise to get better coaching because I can move up to a better team. Mm-hmm. So I, get, I then receive better coaching because I'm on a better team because I'm a better player at age seven, eight, nine or whatever. Right. Now, the kid who's 11 months younger than me is really struggling to bridge that gap because, okay, I'm physically younger. I'm, 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 I'm biologically younger. So I've got that problem. I'm never going to catch up those 11 months. But now I'm also I'm losing out because he's getting a better coaching. He's right, playing at a better right, level. He's right. playing at a higher competition. Right. So that gap just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Then obviously it compounds over the years and then that's where relative age theory comes into play. Now, if you want to use an example, sort of the six kids that made it in my professional to, from, from U16 to U19s, yeah. sort of the six kids from my age category, four were born September to December. <laughs> they were the older ones. All right. The older ones. Okay. All right. right. Just as an example, right? right. So, so just just a random random group. And that's how it is, and it's across all sports. Relative age theory. It's across yeah? all sports. I can go to a youth football event, and I can, within a couple of months, guess if a kid is born January, February, March of that year. So is that just a broken system or? No, 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 it has to work? start somewhere. Right. It has to start somewhere. But, and, and there are ways in which people are doing it different. So for example, in the UK, they, they're starting to do things called biobanding. And what that means is they get your biological age. Yeah. Right. Not actually like, like your- Not on a calendar. Not like on a calendar. Right, like, right. Yeah, so basically they'll, they'll, they'll look at your physical composition. I see, if you're right? developing faster yeah. than your, what your age because is. It does, because it also sometimes has a negative effect because if I'm, uh, of a biological, let's say I'm playing U14, but I'm biologically 16 years old. Yeah. Right? So I'm, I'm a man child. So, yeah. so I was probably underdeveloped at 14, at uh, 13, 14, but at 15, I was probably my size now. Yeah, yeah. So I was actually quite big at 15. Okay. So I, I would, kids who would be knocking me around a year or two before, now all of a sudden I was physically more capable. Mm-hmm. So whatever, I mean, obviously, people mature at a different rate and you can't legislate for that. Sure. But that's one way in which you can kind of keep it an even playing field. Okay. And, and biobanding also enables people to, um, let's say if you are in a U14, but you're actually of the, the body of a 13 year old. Mm-hmm. And it happens, you yeah, see it yeah. all the time. 
you don't have you're not at the risk of getting injured you're not at the risk of getting smashed by a kid that's twice your size yeah you can go and play in an age category that physically the levels are equal so you can really gauge whether or not someone is of the same ability based on where your actual biological age is sure so I'll give you an example. The best, the, the player who won our Academy Player of the Year this year, he just turned seven. Just turned just seven. Just turned seven. Okay. So he's, for me, the best player in the U7 category all round. Mm -hmm. Any club in, in that I've seen. I know a kid who's at my brother's academy who's phenomenal, great player, born January of the following year. Mm. Now that kid's gonna stay and play in U7 next year yeah. and he's gonna dominate. He's gonna dominate and he's gonna look like the best player on the planet, Okay. <laughs> right? But in reality, he's only a couple of weeks younger, younger. Uh. than this other kid. Do you, do you get what I'm saying there? Yeah, yeah. So, and then this boy next year, when he steps up, he's gonna be playing U9, mm. right? But he's gonna just, have, he would have just turned seven Right. This December. And he's going to be playing against kids that could be January born. Right. Nine years old. Wow. So how do you... So, we, so we, yeah, do you understand what I'm saying there? Yeah. So it's a massive, massive um, issue for those kids. So what I'm saying is you've always got to be mindful of things like this when you're working in youth football because you might get that player is garbage or that player is terrible. No, he's not. He's just one year and 11 months younger than that kid. You give him, you see what he's like in one year and 11 months. Right. I guarantee be better than that kid. The guarantee be better than that kid. That's the thing about youth football, right? It's very delicate in that res in that respect, right? You can you can lay down, let's say, like a system, but there, it, it requires the fine eye or the keen eye of their coaches and being delicate when you need to be delicate and, and to be harsh and pushing them when you need to be doing that as well, right? It's it's got to be a delicate balance that you guys strike as coaches. It's really hard, mate. It's yeah. really hard. Um, it's a balance that. I guess I try to impart some of that knowledge. Yeah. Maybe I need to be better about how I deliver that. Because listen, one of the hardest things for me, again, I don't want to come across as with a know-it-all. That's, that's, a, that's a real problem for me, right? But there are certain things that I've experienced mm. that enable me to have a, a, a broader overview of youth football in general. All right. Do, do you understand what that's I'm saying? That's fair enough, yeah, and, and for sure. And, It'd be amiss of me to keep all that knowledge and just sprinkle it with a couple of people who work at my club. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That yeah. would be completely wrong. The problem is, is if you try to spread that knowledge, is people look at you and be like, okay, you, you do your own thing over there and we'll do ours. Yeah. You, we'll, you know, we don't need any of your mumbo jumbo stuff. Sure. Right? I, I said, I said on, the, on, the, on, on a previous podcast, um, which will be released, I think, later, um, I spend a, I'm very diligent about my research and how mm -hmm. I go about um, holding my craft as a coach. And that doesn't just mean being on the, being on the grass. Listen, I listen to a lot of podcasts, I read a lot of books, you know, I study football nonstop, my life's work, right? Yeah. So in that respect, I've got to try and impart some of this knowledge that I've acquired. And if people want to listen to it, great. If they don't, that's, that's okay, that's, that's, that's fine. But that's something that I struggle with to be honest with you is, is is that you know you have certain certain things that you think are best practice yeah. or certain ideas that you think should be adhered to and stuff like this sure is 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 so important so important just because your kid's born January of that year doesn't and he physically more developed doesn't mean your kid is a superstar 
Mm. Just because your kid is born December of a year doesn't yeah. mean your kid is that bad. Sure. Right? He just needs to catch up. He just needs to catch up. Or, or she. Sorry. Sure. Yeah. He or she just needs to catch up. So don't, don't think that your kid is amazing. Don't think your kid is bad. There are, there are so many different extenuating circumstances. And on that development cycle, you've really got to be attuned to where they are on that in that process because right. you can get it massively wrong and I think a lot of players are slipping through the net because you are deeming someone to be phenomenal and a lot of times it's just because they're physically developed right. or you're missing out on the chance of seeing yeah. someone who's at, who could be absolutely incredible but they're just not of that physical maturation yet so you're do you, yeah, do you understand so, what I'm saying so you're not giving them the shine that they should no right no I see what you mean so I've got for example our Swiss coach Thomas Thomas Phil yeah. who is a wonderful human being Mm. nuts absolute crackers mate mm. but he's a wonderful person wonderful person but he sees all of these things he sees all these things and he'll take time with the parents and the parents will be like oh yeah, my, my kid's not aggressive enough or my kid's not this my kid's not that he's like listen he's December born mm. whatever the year is like you 14 sure right as an example so he's two years younger than some of these kids some of these kids are men at 50, monsters at 15. Yeah, yeah, I've right? seen some. Your kid's 13. Yeah. Right, he won't be 14 till December. He'll, he'll grow into his body. He'll develop. Right, he'll, he'll get faster. He'll get strong. He's not quick right now because he's still growing into his body. Mm. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, yeah. don't judge him. Oh, he's a winger and he can't go past his man. Yeah, probably because the man child he's playing against is just physically more capable right sure. now. Right. Yeah. He's got to learn other ways to develop his game. So it might be move the ball quicker. You know, it might be work on your first touch so you're able to manipulate the ball away from that pressure and then move the ball quickly and then as you move the ball can I get the other side of him through clever movement sure. you're teaching them to be a bit more cute a little bit more um, improve their, their or what Alvin said court vision or field vision yeah, yeah. you know what I mean so these sorts of things the nuances are really critical when you're dealing with young players and like you said it takes a highly skilled coach to understand those nuances and then be able to work through those difficulties or work through those issues in, or in order to maximize a, a player's full capability. Right. Do you, do you understand what I'm coming from yeah. with that? I can, that imagine, I can imagine a whole bunch of Barcelona players who might have struggled at a lower age group. You know, you've got people who are a lot smaller and like Lionel Messi, Iniesta, Xavi, all of them seem to be like a little too small for their age did you, group. Did, I'm you, sure. did you see the, um, there was an article that was doing the rounds. No. Uh, it was Xavi's, uh, Xavi Hernandez's scouting report at 13. Did no, you see that? Yeah, yeah, I saw a picture, but did obviously you, did you was, not read it? Yeah. So I read it. So I read something like this. I'm going to paraphrase, right? Uh, he's slow, hmm. uh, not aggressive, can't tackle, Yeah. Uh, doesn't defend. Um, I, think I think something about his endurance was poor. Um... <laughs> Yeah, basically everything was like bang average, bang average, poor, 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 poor. Yeah. And then it was, it was something like his touch, impeccable. His first touch, impeccable. His passing, impeccable. Mm. Um, his positional play, impeccable, right? Um, there's another thing about Paul Scholes. People were saying the same about Paul Scholes. So Paul Scholes had asthma. Yeah, Paul yeah. Scholes was like uh, really undersized. He, he couldn't run. He was a people saying he's a dwarf. Like, if he'd been any other club, yeah, he would have been, he would have been cut. He'd have been sidelined, side, yeah. sidelined for sure. He said he would play like ten minutes of a game. He'd have to be subbed out. Can't move. Mm. So how do you how do you persist with somebody like so, that? So it depends. Like, and, and that's what we, the, the point that I'm getting to. 
is it depends on what your long-term goals are, right? So what are your long-term goals? Like if you are, and I mean this in a, in a very true sense, if your goal is about development, mm. right? And you believe in the player that you've got and you also believe in your philosophy and your ability to coach up that player, yeah. then you're winning in the long run. If you're willing to play the long game. If you're all about, I've got to win this game on Sunday. I've got to win this game on Sunday. I've yeah, got to win this yeah. championship this year. Mm. You're going to pick the biggest, fastest, strongest, most effective players week in, week out. Yeah. Right. And you might win that seven-a-side tournament. You might win that youth tournament. You might win that whatever. But ultimately what's going to happen is in the long run, those kids will fall by the wayside in favor of those clubs that are working on development, in favor of those coaches who are spending time cultivating, developing these kids. Yeah. 100%. I, I'm, I'm a massive, massive believer in that. So then that, 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 that leads into a, an interesting kind of conundrum if you are trying to lead a youth program, let's mm. say, right? Uh, let's, let's say, let's wipe the, the, the slate blank. Yep. It's 2020 coming up and we're gonna start implementing, we're gonna roll out this new youth program, right? Yeah. Um, we still want to win under 14, under 16. You know, like when you start going abroad, you want to be able to represent the country well, right? But you're also looking at keeping an eye out at, at, at players like a Scholes, like a, like a Chavi, who might exhibit some capabilities that are beyond his years, but right now he's physically not ready, Yeah. right? So you're going to have to be able to, to juggle that yeah. somehow, some way, right? Um, if you were to make a blueprint of how to go about setting up let's say this generation's 12 year olds right what would be a good age right, to I'm start, start actually i'm, I'm going to start i'm going to start before that even before I'm that i'm going to start right, i'm going to start yeah. before that and i'm going to tell you a little bit about you might think i'm plugging my academy but i'll tell you a little bit about how we went about the process with the club okay so um, i came in january 2013 and we had a pre-existing team with um, with coach Yaki and rafi herrera so they had a group of kids that had come through with them just pretty much as a block age group. So that would have been, so that group would have been Marco Cusombre, Troy Limbo, uh, Rocky Plaza, Carlitos Matai. I don't know if you remember Carlitos. Aniga mm. um, uh, Herrera. Yeah. Uh, and then sort of the slightly older group is um, uh, Shandon Vergara. Like, really? Yeah, that, all that groups. Uh, even Harvey w w would be team to, to, to an extent. Yeah. He came in later on. Um, they Harvey were all Garrison. playing for Kaya. They were all playing for Kaya. So basically that's, that group came through together. And then um, they, so they were like U15, then U17, then into, into Rafi's B team. So that was the first group that we dealt with. But actually that wasn't really our academy. That was more um, a offshoot of, Rafi's group that he kept together for a long time. Mm. But they were together uh, under Coach Nyaki and they went through the system together. But that really wasn't under my under my jurisdiction so right. much. It was more under under the umbrella of the club and when we you know, we, we assigned coaches and helped them out a little bit. But really that was their own program. And, and obviously domestically they did they did pretty well. Yeah. Impressive group of talent. They did that. really well. So a bunch of the kids went to US, a bunch of the kids are playing here, some of the kids studied abroad. Um, some are obviously in the in the pro game now. Some of them with with, with, with the under twenty twos. Some are still playing college here, um, but that really wasn't my remit. So my first group really that I would consider guys who came under my 
influencers as such because yeah. that group was already good like i'm not i'm not i'm not i'm the last person to take credit for it like that was nothing to do with me really yeah they were phenomenal right and, and we helped in ways in which we could but that, that really wasn't my influence so when i first came in it would have been the likes of so the 2005 2006 group was really my first group of kids that i could a little bit oh four actually so that was my first group of influence. Mm. So that would have been kids like uh, Mikhail and Matteo Seldran. Okay. Right, so uh, the, twins? Of, uh, the twins of bootcamp fame. Uh, Juan Camajo, mm -hmm. um, uh, Enzo Corbet, uh, who else would have been in that group? Uh, so many names, I don't wanna miss anyone out, but I'm gonna miss loads out. Um, uh, Gael Guerrero, right? So that group came in and they were sort of six, seven, something like that. And I remember playing in the underage tournaments and we did okay. We were pretty good. The best team in that age group was uh, was Xavier. Mm. Xavier School. <sighs> Absolute monsters. They were monsters. So they had uh, a boy called Lawrence Tortona, uh, Brick Coe. Uh, they had uh, two or three other kids. Uh, I think Nathan Batter was in that group also. And absolutely phenomenal players phenomenal players I remember we played a, I think it was either U7 or U9 uh, UFL youth semi-final I think we got beat 7-0 wow and honest to god it could have been 20-0 they just mullered us mm. and I remember thinking my gosh these kids are just just on a different level to our kids and our kids were just just physically scared they just couldn't mm. handle the, the tempo in which they played at they played at a super high aggressive nature football um but technically proficient, they were they were they were technically pretty good, um, very skillful, and they were just impossible to deal with. Couldn't and, and they won it at a canter. They won it at a canter. Okay. So anyway, they sort of went off the radar for a couple of years. Didn't really see much of them. They were they were off doing their own thing, and we just kept plugging away with this group. So like I said, the, some of the kids that I mentioned earlier. So we just kept plugging away, kept plugging away, kept plugging away, kept working, putting some really good coaches working with them, uh, and then they resurfaced a couple of years later. And we think we played them at U eleven. I think it was it still UFL. I think it was still UFL youth. It might maybe the first year of YFL, and they had, they had um, converged on another club, and um, but but pretty much the same set of players. Right. We won seven nil. Wow. We won seven nil. A complete turnaround. And I remember saying saying to some of the coaches, I was like, "Listen, I, I, again, I don't want to get too carried away with what we're doing because yeah. I'm not. I'm not. I, I don't see that as a comparison and be like, you know, they might've had a goalkeeper missing on that day or that sure. whatever. So I, I don't want to use that too much as a, as a, as a like for like apples to apples comparison, but it just showed us that I, th I felt as though we were on the right track mm. of what we were doing. Um, we were very uh, technical and tactical centric. So it was all about developing um, players who had essentially use the game to teach them. So understanding the nuances of the game and and then really focused in on, focusing on develop them from a, a technical and technical standpoint. So what that means is we would spend a lot of time, when you, when you coach football, a lot of times you teach a technique in isolation. So you teach like, okay, the uh, passing. So you teach it, okay, this is how you pass the ball. Standing foot next to the ball, yeah. open up your foot, you know, pass it here, and it's all done, usually unopposed, and then it's just, okay, you pass to me, I yeah. pass to you, you pass to me, I pass to you. Yep. Right. So you see, you, you, that, that's typically how you do it. And it's actually it's across a lot of sports. I see it a lot in a lot of sports. Basketball's the same. But really, 
the game is live, right? The game always needs context. Yeah. Because football is an ever-changing picture. No two scenarios have ever been the same ever in any game in the history of football, right? No, no, every picture is completely different. Mm. Every picture is completely different. So what we're trying to do is we basically try to front load that cognition. So we give these pictures to these kids really early on, really early on. So everything is, is that we do is game related. Mm. So you can teach, so let's say you wanna teach passing, right? Um, if I wanna teach passing, I might do a game where it's two versus one. Okay. So the ability for me to pass the ball to you is easier, but you still have the context of a live opponent. Trying to close you Trying down. Trying to close you down. So what that then, the, the player on the ball then has to decide, right, okay, so the defender's over there. He can receive the ball there. Mm-hmm. If I pass it with this weight of pass, it's going to get to him before he can intercept, he or she can intercept the ball. Right. Right, but there's context. Because if I just pass back and forth to you, yes, th- yes. there is no context. Right. Right. The cone never moves. Right. Right. The cone never, like, listen, I've got some defenders who are cones, to be honest with you, but generally speaking, <laughs> my, most, most of them move, right? Right. So it's all about applying the context. So what we, we and we try to do that. And, and what it enables, in, in my opinion, again, this is just a, this is just a theory and this is just a philosophy. Mm. Um, and it's just a general movement a lot within the coaching community. You see a lot of this, um, this, this come into fruition now is... In, in applying that context, you front load that condition and you give these kids these pictures that they're able to see from a much younger age. Mm. So even as long as three, four, these kids are already playing. And what it also does is the decision is then placed solely on the player, right? So it's not a coach guide uh, telling you how to do it yeah, yeah, or explicitly telling you this is how you need to do it. Because I see a lot of that. Sure. I see a lot of joystick coaches, right, telling you this is how you should do it. This mm. is what you need to do. So another example that I'll give you is the ball is in your penalty box. Go to any U7 game, right? The ball is in the penalty box. Right. What, what's the coach telling the kid, the defender to do? Defender, clear it. Clear, clear it. Get it out. Get yeah. it out. Get it out. Away, away, away. Away, away, away. Boot it. Boot it. Yeah. Parents are screaming it, right? Now, if I'm a really good defender, yeah. I might dribble out. Yeah. I might dribble out. I might see an actual pass that I can play out of this scenario, Yeah. right? But because I'm being told this by all of the parents, by all of these coaches, I'm going to sort of do it, right? Because after I boot the ball out... Everybody cheers. Well done, Johnny. Fantastic. And then that reinforces him or her, if a girl's named Johnny. Um, <laughs> oh, that was good. That was good. Yeah, that was yeah. Good. I'm going to do that again next time I get the ball. Sure. Because I want to elicit that kind of response rather than, okay, actually, if I clear it, hmm, maybe that wasn't the best option. Maybe next time I should try and pass out or maybe next time I should try and boot it out. Or if that person then gets tackled trying to dribble out yeah. and they score, yeah. that kid knows they made a mistake. Sure. That kid knows they made a mistake. Yeah. And you're depriving that kid of that learning opportunity. Mm. Right, because what happens is, then you get parents and coach on the sideline go, "Oh, Johnny, why you, don't dribble out of there? Don't dribble out of there. Mm. Boot it out next time." And then what happens? Johnny feels like a dick because he's like, "Oh God, yeah, I feel bad. I let the team down." No, you haven't. You just learnt what you shouldn't do, sure. and you're probably going to rectify it next time. Mm. Right, you're probably going to learn. Right, kids are super smart, smarter than the adults in many ways. Yeah. So let the kid make the mistake. Let the kid learn. 
So we allow them the environment to make those mistakes, especially in training, because you've got to make those mistakes. And if you can't make it in training, you're never, you're never going to make any mistakes in games. Mm. Right? If you don't make mistakes in games at this age, you're just going to create robots where they're super safe, uh, they're just going to do whatever the coach says. And then the worst thing is you're not going to create players who are able to think autonomously. Sure. Right? And I'm going to ask you this question now because I've waffled on for ages. How many creative footballers have you seen in your time watching Philippine football? I think it's the rarest breed that we have. Okay. Unfortunately. Yeah. We've got very good like runners, willing runners. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, aggressive uh, players, yep. but in terms of the capability to assess a situation in a tight space, pick out a nice pass, that's maybe a handful. That's a handful of players who are capable of doing that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Very few, I would okay. say. So there we go. So if we're not producing that type of player, you've got to look at why. Yeah, and for me, that is the main reason why. That is the main reason why. So going back to my story about these kids from from the Xavier School. Those kids ended up with us. Mm. So they're, they're now in the program okay. with us. Um, under the tutelage of Coach Thomas. All right. Um, I, don't like to get, I don't like to use sort of trophies or whatever as, as a litmus test or a barometer as mm. you know, how well you're doing. But one hour one YFL, uh, season one, lost in the final season two to a very, very good JPV team. Mm. Uh, JPT, Malaya. Okay. My lighting, very good. They're also a team that, that seemingly they have a very different model to us. Um, tend to recruit from um, certain communities, um, Malaya, but they have got some really, really talented players in in their system. Mm. Very, very good. And if you look across the board, so if you went and looked at all the YFL results, which which again I don't like to do. So uh, only club us with teams who finished in the top four across all age groups. Mm. But I think Malaya this this second season. Uh, we were the only team with multiple winners in the first round. Yeah. I think they were they had multiple winners in the in the second round, and they seem to be doing. They seem to be doing some to, to be doing some good stuff. M Malaya is associated with JPV. So they used to be no? JPV. They so a lot used of Japanese coaching or what? Nope. No, 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 no. I think that was more of a marriage of convenience before ah. when it had to be associated with a. I see. With a pro club. Um, but they still had they still had the colours, so well, that's why in my mind. It's so, what do you see them doing correctly, and why are they developing good so players? So, what what I understand again, um, Tita Patina, who does their does their does the program, um, they seemingly spend a lot. Of, so they're more I don't want to say recruit, but they go into different communities and then they're quite selective with who they pick up. So they mm. have a batch of kids that I think that they've had from quite a young age, build them up and then they supplement them with other kids from other communities. If I'm wrong, then I apologize, but that's, that's seemingly how uh, a lot of the players are, are required. And then from that, they, they do spend a lot of time, they'll, they'll bring their kids abroad. They'll bring their kids oh, wow. to, yeah, they, they do, do a lot of that stuff. Um, but they, I, I guess they have a very active scouting network. That's mm. really, really how they do it. So I would say we're probably more. We'll keep most of our kids in house. We're not. We don't. We don't recruit. Yeah. We yeah. don't really recruit at all. Um, contrary to popular opinion, who <laughs> think we're pirates, but we don't. Anyone yeah. who comes to us comes to us. Don't 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 recruit. Um, and, and just have confidence in our own ability to to develop players. That's that's simply it. They do have a different model. 
and they've been successful with it. So yeah, I've got no, I've got no issues. Everyone does it differently, but they, they, they produce. I would say like if you're going to sort of have a template for what type of player they produce, uh, hungry, uh, physically, uh, very capable, mm. um, skillful. They, they have got some very skillful players. Um, local, local players. Yeah. Local players. That's that's typically their their, their type of dem- demographic. Uh, the characteristics of their of their team are, have that composition. Yeah. Uh, almost across the board, almost across the board in their teams. But they they they're doing some good stuff, mate. They're doing some good stuff. Isha Shime um, is in charge of um, some of their teams. It's always know, nice. Does, does it always job. seems to be like individuals or players who had a little bit more vision. You know how they can read the game better. They seem to be able to like translate that over to children. Um, seemingly uh, a lot more effectively than some of those like uh, battlers the, you know what I mean like those battlers on the pitch who you know when everything's going 100 miles per hour they, they, they fit better so there's two there's two schools of thought with that so one is um, yeah so then they, they might be overly um, reliant on blood and thunder yeah, which yeah I think at the youth level is I think that time has been and gone really yeah, I mean, yeah. If you've got a coach who's shouting and screaming obscenities at kids, again, it goes back to my original point, which is kids will listen to you. Mm. They'll do as you say. But in the long run, you're not going to create any autonomous footballers. Right, right. I mean, you know, what happens when the coach isn't there? They lose their confidence a little bit. <laughs> probably happy. Probably yeah. happy, but they don't know what to do. Yeah. They don't, the, the real sign, the real sign of a good coach is how they perform when they're not there. Mm. Right? Have you given them a level of autonomy that they, and you've coached them so well, that when you're not there, they are able to perform to the highest level. Right. Right. So the, the, one of the funny things that I like, uh, I, I liked as a debate was the Steve Kerr one, where he allowed his team to run the plays. Mm. Do you remember that one? So he, he, he let his Golden State Warriors players run the play. Okay. Uh, so he called a timeout and he, he said, "Right, I can't remember." He gave the he gave the clipboard to. I think he said, "Like Andre, Andre Godala here." Just yeah, yeah. yeah. What happened? Yeah, I mean, you know, the play worked and they scored and whatever. But it's it's about giving autonomy to the players. They're the ones that have to perform, right? They're mm. the ones. You can't dictate to them all the time. They have to come up with the solutions. They have to come up with the solutions. Yeah, and. He got a lot of flack for that because he thought it, that people thought, oh, that was, you know, taking the mick, basically. Sure. Yeah, he was abusing his position as a, you know, yeah. being in charge of the best basketball team on the planet, arguably. I loved it. I loved it. I trust my players so much that I trust them to come up with a solution to the problems themselves. Yeah. Amazing. It's amazing. Is that not what you want? Is that what you want? So, sorry, going on to your... your I'm going off, not off topic, but I've, I've rambled on. Then the next type of issue that I've got with, with certain coaches is the player who was a phenomenal player. Yeah, yeah. So one of my friends who also works in coaching, he said he works in... Uh, he, he's a PE teacher. But he said the worst type of person you can get when you... Um, uh, let's say if an, uh, an inspector comes and speaks to a kid and he says, right, uh, yeah, so what... what why did you do that? Explain to me what you just did there. If you went to Wayne Rooney, yeah. right, and, and he, he performed an action, yeah. right, or he made a mistake, mm-hmm. for example. I'll come back to the mistake. Sorry. Let's say he dribbled around three guys and scored, yeah. right, Wayne Rooney. And then he said, well, right, excuse me, could you explain what you did there? Yeah. No, I just did it. 
Yeah. I just did it. Mm-hmm. It's just natural, it's instinctive. Yeah. If let's say a kid makes a mistake, you can articulate it well, right? Who isn't perhaps as good of a, a footballer, mm. but understands the game well. Why did you make that mistake? Well, what happened was, um, I, I, as I went to fake to go one way, I went to shift the ball to, to the opposite side, but, but I didn't sell the fake enough. So as I took the touch to the side, the defender read that situation and installed the ball. Yeah. Right. So there's a, if you, you notice this with a lot of good players. Good players see things instinctively. instinctively. All those pictures have been created from a very young age, so they're able to see that picture themselves. Yeah. But they can't transmit that to the players that they're working with as a coach. Mm. You see it all the time. Mm. You see it all the time. Very seldom like that type of player is able to transmit what they see in their mind to deliver a session yeah. that will bring that out and then articulate that so the players can replicate that on a game day. That's very interesting. That, you see that all the time. Yeah. So you, you're not, it doesn't, I, I don't care when someone says, oh, I'll play it at that level, I'll play it at this level. Talking about coaching, two different, completely different things. Yeah. I would much rather have a coach who can articulate exactly what they want from the team, mm. and then be able to demonstrate that a in the session, yeah, and paint the picture so the players can see it themselves, yeah, and then allow them, give them the space, give them some, give them the room where they can perform that. If you and and test whether you whether or not you've coached that effectively or not. That's the thing, right? I mean. I feel like there's going to be a, a game of reputation that gets played with acquiring clients. This is I, I say this with, with quotations because that's what the kids are sometimes to these coaching academies, right? Or to these academies. It's like we're picking up more clients and we can do that by utilizing a reputation of a, pre, of a, of a, of a well-decorated player with a, with a high reputation in the industry. We can utilize this person to acquire more clients, but that actual person, that actual coach, might actually be a terrible coach, but because he was a great player or was uh, a famous personality, you could utilize him as a means to hook these these players in, these these clients in. Right? And listen, I've got no problem with that. If you've got a high-profile guy, yeah, right. You got let's say you got a high-profile person. Mm. Um, kids are going to look up to them. Sure. Right. Let's say you got an ex-national team player. Right. Mm. Kids are going to look up to them. He's been there. He's done that. He's come from my situation and has reached the pinnacle mm. right that that person that individual he can impart he or she can impart knowledge mm. right he can maybe whisper and and and, and be and be a great coach in a sense of right you know what i saw you do there was you could have done this better sure right when i was in this situation i would like to do this mm. can you use your body better can you use your arms to leverage that opponent out the way ease them off the ball so you can keep you can keep your body between the opponent and the ball yeah right just as an example so you can do it that way and then if you've got a really good assistant who's great at doing the team sessions etc let them run the session then it works that way then it works that way yeah. you know what i mean like cause I, I, how many times i mean as a kid if if a professional footballer came and spoke to me he could say the smallest thing and I would take that on board and I'd be like, wow, that's gold dust. Yeah, if yeah. my regular coach who works with me every week says something, you'd be like, well, oh, come on, mate. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's just a dad yeah, or whatever. Yeah. But when it comes down to it, there's no reason why you can't have both mm. and, e- and both be equally effective in their own different ways. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's when, it's exactly what you said, if it's, oh, he's an ex-player, so whatever he says has got to be gospel yeah. or he's put, he or she is put on a piss poor session and you're just lapping up because like, well, how? Huh? He played 50 times for national team. So what he says got to be the truth. Yeah. Right. And then it comes back to you better be a more informed parent. Right. right. You've got to be more informed as um, 
as a player. Yeah. You know, if you're a slightly older player and, and knowing, actually, this is garbage, <laughs> right? I'm being fed. But often it's too late. By the time you realize it, it's too late. That's, it's right? something I experience a lot as a commentator, actually. Like, I, I, I sit in an anchor position and yeah. I have to sit alongside an analyst, right? And a lot of the time, um, or not a, not even a lot of the time, but sometimes it, it happens that, you know, you're, you're, you're partnered with somebody with a personality, a, a real, you know, reputation in the game. Yeah. But as you mentioned, because things have come so naturally to them, they, to assess the situation, to break it down piece by piece, yeah. it comes as a real challenge for them. You yeah. know, they, they can't understand what factors come into play for that opening to happen. For example, it's and it becomes very like evident after a few minutes, like, oh, this guy doesn't really have too much insight on how things transpire or whatever. They're just kind of feeding off their natural instinct. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I suppose you got to be able to balance those two yeah. in a particular way, particularly in an academy, um, and not just be um, fooled—not not fooled, but like I should just say, you're 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 get, you're having your image um, tainted or tinted by the person's reputation, yeah. right? Which I, I suppose for a lot of these parents, though, I mean, they're not really that informed in the game of football they want their kids to be a part of it but yeah, yeah, yeah. personally they don't really have a capability to distinguish whether or not they're coaches of of good stature so here's, here's the, yeah so here's, yeah and here's the other issue with what you said is so let's say you might use a personality to lure or draw people to come in and, and be at your club mm. right? right then is the, then the other one the other big one is what what do you mean what's the other big thing really that attracts people to wanting to go to a particular club if they're winning boom yeah boom that is it right so is your team winning yeah do you have a winning culture and it, <laughs> i could see the frustration for you because that's a diff that's a difficult thing as you mentioned right if your only priority is getting the results then the development of specific players is being sacrificed as a result um that's a tough one. That's got to be a tough position to be in as an academy. It's mate. It is one of the. It is one of the most difficult ones to explain. I think I've got a pretty good handle with the parents now, uh, mm -hmm. explaining that winning is the byproduct of the work that you put in on the training field. It is a byproduct of how you develop yourself off the field, training on your own, spending time on the pitch working on yourself um that's all a byproduct yeah right it's not it's the, the winning is not the thing that you should be primarily focused on right it is literally the daily improvements that you try to make yourself yeah. as a player that's really the, you have to be process driven you have to be process driven and if the process is the right one right if you're development centric as a, as a coach and as an academy, you're gonna get results. Mm. You're gonna get results. And you also need to be very clear with how you gauge success. Right. So if your gauge for success is winning trophies, that's fine, that's up to you. But I would much rather be producing players that get college scholarships. Yeah. That play for the youth national team, that play for the full national team that play professionally that get to go abroad that get to make a career out of football mm. right and even if it's not going to be at that sort of level how about we start creating people that are lifelong football lovers mm. right 
That's another one that's massively underrated. How about we just create people who love football yeah. for their whole life? Not when they get to like 14 and be like, oh, I don't do this anymore. I'm sick of being shouted at on the sidelines or, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of reasons why people drop out of the game. One I thing I love about here, actually, is I love, so there's a couple of times when we'll have a session and then I'll see like 50, 60 year old blokes roll out and play at McKinley Hill, yeah. you know, whatever it is, overage league or something. I don't know sure. what it is. Amazing. It's brilliant. <laughs> like, cause they love it. Yeah. No, they're not getting paid. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No one's, bollocking them no one's shouting at them they just want to come out and have a laugh and a joke with their friends and get a little run out because they love it yeah like they're probably paying a little bit to go and play exactly amazing that's what you want do you know what I mean like that's the be all and end all is not winning a U9 seven aside tournament yeah that's not the be all and end all no one wants to be the best six year old on the, on the planet yeah no one wants <laughs> no no one gives a shit. Yeah. No one gives a shit if your kid is amazing at six years old. Except the parents. Because then they, they, they have something to brag about with their friends. Like, oh, champion. Six years old. That's what they want. You know, unfortunately, that's what I hear from uh, people in and around the industry. Are you trying to push me into <laughs> making no. comments about stuff? No, no. So what I'm saying is what I, what I observe, you know? There, there are people who are like that, who are living through their kids in terms of, you know, the success that they get on the field. They get an opportunity to brag about it with their friends, you know? and that, They're living vicariously for their kids. Yes. And, and, and sometimes that leads into, you know, toxic environments for, for, for their children and, and for the clubs that they're involved in and some of the competitions that they participate in. Yeah, I think I said on a... Was it the Ask Chris episode? I think I was talking about, um, I was quite lucky growing up because my father was very, very hands off. Yeah. Um, he understood that I was very passionate about uh, playing football. And I had a drive and determination to, uh, to want to be the best footballer I could be. And mm. one day, you know, aspired to be a professional footballer. And, and I think that's, that's the case with a lot of kids in the UK. Everyone wants to be a footballer. Mm. I remember I was 11, I'll tell you a story. I was about 11 years old when I signed for my first professional club. So I signed for Brighton when I was 11 years old. And there was a player in the academy who was just, I mean, phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Lights out. Um, smaller than me, but technically very gifted. He was just, he had guile. He was very cute on the ball. He just... He, he just seemed mature beyond his age in terms of what he could do on the pitch, how he saw the game. And I was like, God, he's, he's so much better than me. So much better than me. His father was the coach wow. at, the, right. at the club. And um, I always remember when I first came, the first time I seen him, and a lot, a lot of the other parents was, spoke to my dad. And he was like, yeah, he's always got cones set up in his back garden. You know, he's always having them run through certain drills, certain mm. exercises, this and that. And part of me was like, oh God, I need to be doing this. I need to be doing that. And my dad was like, I don't think that's right, Chris. I think that's going to be too much. I think it's going to be too much. I think that's too much pressure. On an 11-year-old. On, on, on yeah. an 11-year-old. And we all wanted to be pros, right? We all wanted to be pros. This is, this is I mean, from a very young age, you, you realize that you're in a competitive environment. Mm. Um, Brighton, just so geographically understand, is there's no other pro clubs in our area. So it's a massive catchment area. So mm. our youth program's always super strong. Um, just not many other pro clubs in that area. 
more recently, a lot more of the London clubs will come down and they'll pillage from from the clubs. You I have see. Crystal Palace, uh, Tottenham, Arsenal, Chelsea. They'll they'll start to take from from that area, but at the time, not really. Most of the most of us were all from the area, but it was a really big catchment area. Right. So anyway, growing up, so we grew up together, and as sort of time wore on, one you started to pick up more injuries. Mm. So he, he had issues with injuries. Next thing you know, he signed for Tottenham. Okay. He signed for Tottenham. Big club. Big club. So we moved on. Dad, dad moved on. And then, yeah, never really saw him for, for a number of years. Anyway, he was released by Spurs, I think maybe 17, 17 years old. And then ended up playing kind of semi-pro amateur football. Um, was pretty prolific at that level but obviously never really fulfilled his his potential all right uh ended up going into coaching coached at a very prominent uh private school um but started mixing with the wrong crowd hmm. he um he actually ended up going to prison for i think he did three or four years his roommate uh was a drug dealer wow and he wasn't dealing drugs wasn't doing drugs but merely through association yeah uh, did a, they did a raid on the house he was there and because he went to a very prominent school te- taught at a school yeah uh, he was made an example of and he yeah he went inside I think he, I think he ended up doing two two years or something like that Jesus, this is a depressing story Chris it's a depressing story yeah but and, and I'm, I'm not saying that um, people who make bad decisions it's all because of you know pressure that they've received you know, there's <laughs> yeah, loads yeah. of people who make bad decisions who had great parents and had you know no pressure and whatever sure right? i've made some stupid decisions and both my parents were you know pretty good right yeah. um but i can't help but think that based on the pressures that he had as a young child but yeah. you know, being in that cauldron of just it must have been relentless mm. it must have been relentless to be in that household and invariably you know if you're under that microscope from such a young age, it's going to have a negative impact at some stage mm. in your life. And I, I, you don't know how it's going to manifest. You don't. You don't. Yeah. But I, I, always, I always remember that, that conversation with, with my dad and that, that, that I just, it's not going to end well. Yeah. You know, it's not going to end well. And those stories are, are littered. Especially in my, in my area where I'm from, mm. like there's so many players who are like, "Oh, he's the next big thing. He's the next big thing." Yeah. And then they fall foul to drugs, to alcohol, to n- crime, a, a number of different things. Yeah. Because if you're under that microscope, if you're under that pressure, yeah, from such an early age, and often it's from parents who are living vicariously through their kids. Mm. Sorry to say that is that is often how it is. That's what that's that is a manifestation of of being in that type of environment, and I'm not saying that kids are now you know if they're getting pressured by their parents they're going to end up in prison. It's not that's not what I'm saying. It's just yeah. one example that I've had from a kid I know from a young age was hammered daily yeah. about trying to become a professional footballer, trying to become a professional footballer. I I feel it sometimes with kids in their studies. Sure. Here, I, I, you know, so I think it's not just something that's confined to football. Yeah. But I, I see a lot here. I mm. see a lot. I see a lot of times. It's 
yeah, parents living vicariously through their kids. Yeah. Um, coaches, right? Trying to seek a glory day through the kids. Mm. And it's all because they think it's a reflection of themselves. It's an ego thing. It's an ego thing. I used the word ego maniacal yeah. the other day. Um, it's an ego thing. And for, I would, on the one hand, it's nothing to do with you. And on the other hand, it's everything to do with you. Yeah. How your kid turns out. Yeah, yeah. Right? If, if, if your kid is a phenomenal football player, phenomenal football player, you haven't done the work. Sure. You haven't gone out and done the work on your own in the, in the back garden. Your kid's done that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Your kid's the one who's out there performing in the games, not you. Right? Yeah. That's nothing to do with you. On the flip side, on the other hand, it is everything to do with you. Because if you've allowed your kid the opportunity to blossom, if you've allowed your kid that freedom to express himself, if you've allowed your kid the chance to discover these things for themselves, I guarantee you they're going to end up loving the sport yeah. and doing it for themselves and doing it for the right reasons, not because mum or dad has pressured me into doing this. That's, yeah. I, I have a similar story uh, of that nature. Go ahead. Because like yeah, you, for those who don't know, you, yeah. you, you're in the martial arts yeah yeah, yeah. martial industry, arts yeah. um you know played basketball a mm -hmm. lot growing up and yeah. a little bit of football and a really good buddy of mine i grew up in indonesia yeah um eight years of my life i spent over there and uh, a really good buddy of mine um actually excelled in in several sports he was yeah. the captain for track and field for football for basketball um i had parents that were very very overbearing in their in their expectations of what he should reach and while i would be the kind to have fun on a weekend his is this is performance day you know what i mean like mm -hmm. i have to show up yeah. i have to come out strong and if we're losing it's going to be unacceptable yeah. so i i kind of had an opportunity to enjoy the game whereas it's more like it's a performance for him it yeah. needs to be done correctly or else i'm going to get a shellacking at home so while he excelled at these sports and got the attention of you know colleges to look at him for for scholarships it never really panned out for him when he was on his own when he left because he wasn't enjoying the game anymore right so the game is not the source of what it was supposed to be which is an outlet from everything else that you're doing mm. it became like a source of stress so then i feel he ended up getting into the wrong crowds and finding other ways to escape um, other means of enjoyment which which led into substances and, mm -hmm. and, and abusing of those substances mm -hmm. and it has led into you know a more difficult path for him in yeah. life whereas it could have been the util uh, the usage of sport as a means to uh, alleviate the pressures uh, and to make his life easier in that regard but no it, it was in, the, in fact the exact opposite right and if I see this in a lot of kids where you, you you push them too hard you take the passion the love out of the game and if it becomes about winning, it's, it's never going to be that much fun. There's going to be too much pressure on you all the time, right? I mean, it, especially in martial arts, I see it a lot yeah. because not only is the ego of your parent involved, but it's your ego that's on the line all the time. It's one-on-one. Yeah. -on -one. And if you're pinning me and I can't do anything, I already feel like shit anyway, yeah. right? And then if I have to come home and tell you, tell me how much of, you know, how much of a disappointment I am, these kids don't come back, no. right? And that's, it's, it's really tough. Um, for their egos to, to handle that you know obviously in, in a game of football you can point fingers and be like maybe if the goalkeeper wasn't so shit then maybe we'd yeah. win right but um, that you don't have that in martial arts it's always just yeah, you yeah, and yeah. how you take it and how you, you get back on the horse right yeah. so it, there's a lot of character building in that regard but yeah I mean having overbearing parents 
is definitely something that's difficult to take. Yeah. And and you and me, we've been involved in and around you more than me in 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 youth tournaments and having parents who are very much invested in results and very much invested in the success of their children, um, shouting at referees, shouting at opposition players, shouting at fellow parents who are watching the game. Um, what is supposed to be a festival of, you know, oh, let, you know, let's come together. Our kids are into the same passions. Maybe we can grab some food, talk about, you know, maybe we don't have to talk about the football. Maybe we can talk about whatever. It, it, it boils down into something rather different. It becomes and transforms into something that's rather, um, it could be toxic at times, yeah. right? And I'm sure you've, you've been in around it. Yeah. It is in general, yeah. Which is difficult, right? How do you shake things up, something like that, you know? Again, I haven't found the right formula. Mm. I think people have probably realized that by now. I try, <laughs> I've tried different ways, but, you know, it's, it's tough. I think it being as of education, so I think, like, and, um, like, like Alvin said, you've got to deal with your own backyard. You've got, mm. you got to sort that out first. And listen, we're not, we're not perfect. Yeah. And we, we had an incident last year where a, a parent um, went on the field and grabbed a referee. Um, really? But, but, but instead, of, instead of sort of shaming that individual, what, what we did was collaborated with the league, yeah. sanctioned him. And that parent is now not allowed to be, I think it's within 50 feet of the field or something like that. Oh, wow. Right? So he now has to watch the games from, from afar. Yeah, um, we, we obviously don't want him to stop seeing his kid play, mm. but um, he obviously realised that he overstepped the mark, and and the punishment has been implemented, and hopefully that will shows other parents also that okay they take we take this thing seriously. Yeah, and as such, you know, and he and he took it, and in fairness, in fairness he took it, and I think that's the right way to go about it because everyone's. No, nobody's perfect. We've all we've all done stupid things, think, you know, for, on, on the pitch or on the sideline. Like God, you watch enough of my games to know that I, I could I could be difficult with officials and, and, yeah. and that kind of thing. But I do think it's different when you're in a professional environment. I think you, it's different when actually there is something on the line. You know, that is your that is your profession. You're yeah. getting paid to perform. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, there's money on the line. There's league championships on the line. Uh, this is your livelihood, then you have to perform, right? right? But that comes when you get to a certain stage. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, it yeah, shouldn't sure. be, you need to perform today, you're six-year-old, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> Kid. Maybe that's the reason why some of the, the parents are so overbearing as well. I mean, when you're talking about there's something on the line, there's, you know, you're getting paid for this. They're paying, a lot of these parents are paying a premium to get their kids into these good academies and they're like, hey man, I want to see your kids win. It's very true. I used to coach in, um, I used to coach in New Jersey, and, and one of the, the towns that I, I coached in was a place called Milburn, and Milburn was um, notorious for having like like hedge fund central, like hedge fund capital. All right. So all the all the top hedge fund managers would live in Milburn, yeah. uh, commute in, yeah, and then come yeah. back. So these guys were winners in life, right? <laughs> Million, millions, yeah, dealing with millions yeah. every day. Yeah. So when they paying you in a, you know. A premium to have you coach their kids. Yeah, they're expecting a return on their investment. Exactly. Believe me. Yeah. Right. But if that return on the investment is, I want to see medals, I want to see trophies, then you're looking at it from a completely wrong perspective, mm. in my opinion. Mm. Right. And you're everyone's entitled to their own opinion because if if that's what you really want, mm. no problem. That's fine. All I ask is that you don't then encroach on everyone else's business mm. do you understand what i'm saying so right. if you're on the sideline you want your kid to win i've got no problem with that yeah and if you want to go about it has to be about win has okay fine 
But when you shout in abuse and shouting and screaming from the sideline, if the game's ongoing and you're saying, kick him, kick him. Yeah. Yeah. Then I'm going to draw the line at that. Because uh-huh. now you're now encroaching on my space, right? And influencing other kids outside of your realm, outside yeah. of your jurisdiction. Yeah. Um, and that's what's prompted me to into some actions recently. But um, I think it's a very, very difficult one, that one, mate. I think it's a really difficult balance to try to address. Um, like I said, I've tried it a number of different ways, but I think it all starts with education. And, you know, we've spoke to our parents about the benefits of why we do things the way we do. Yeah. Why no coaching during the games, mm-hmm. right? If you're going to be shouting stuff from the sideline, going to ask you politely to sit down um if there's been a situation where a parent has been abusive we've, we've taken kids off mm-hmm. go and speak to your dad or your mum don't want to be quiet and then you can come back on once your dad sits down and yeah he's, he's he's relaxed yeah yeah okay then you can come back on okay then he comes back on there's loads of different ways i saw someone um the other day in america they gave them lollipops yeah they gave the parents lollipops to keep them from, from talking? Just so they can just suck on it. <laughs> There's loads of different ways in which you can do it, right? And I think everyone, is, if we're in the football community, needs to be look, addressing this as a real issue. Yeah. But the, the best picture, so, um, and it's done the rounds, is the one where I think Luis Suarez and Messi are at the academy game okay. in Barcelona with their kids. All right. And what do you think they're doing? Chilling. Chilling. Nothing. Sitting down, picnic chairs, sunglasses yeah. on, feet up, letting their kids play. Yeah. Now, can you imagine that coach? Imagine the pressure that coach would be under if Messi's going, hey, you're doing this wrong, mate. Yeah, yeah. Right? You'd crumble, wouldn't you? Yeah, What am sure. I going to say? What am I going to say to him? But he's gone, no, I trust in the coach. Yeah. Kid's just going to have fun. Mm-hmm. Let him enjoy the game. Oh, it's Barcelona's academy. He's probably going to be half decent, right? But right. I just think if they can do it, right? If two of the best players on the planet can just sit back and let their kids play and have fun, why can't, why can't everybody else? Because honestly... It's so enjoyable to watch these kids play. Mm. I've, got, I've got a kid. Sure. I, I, I've got a son. And don't get me wrong. I've got impulses in me when I'm watching. I'm like, oh, I should have done this. Mm. Oh, I should have done that. It's mm. really difficult. Don't get me wrong. It's really difficult. Mm. It's really difficult to take a back seat and either let someone else give that information to your kid or let him figure it out on his own. Yeah. It's very difficult. Sometimes I cross the line. Sometimes I'm like, what are you doing? But 99 times out of 100... I'll sit still, I'll sit, be quiet, and he'll figure it out for himself. Yeah. He'll figure it out for himself. And as long as he's having fun, as long as he's enjoying it, I'm just gonna let him just gonna let him play. Simple as that. Just let him play, let him have fun. There's gonna come a time when he's gonna ask for dad's advice. There's gonna be a time when he's gonna wanna know, Dad, should I be doing this? Should I be, can you can he tell me a little bit more? How, how can I do this? So I'll give you an example, right? He saw another kid in the academy the other day, he can shoot like a cannon. Yeah. Right. He came to me and said, Dad. How do you shoot like Noah? Isn't the name of the kid? Yeah. He said, how can you shoot? How do you shoot like that? I said, okay. He said, do you, want this, do you want me to teach you? He said, yeah, do you want me to teach you? So we went into the garden. Yeah. Put a goal up. And we just spent an hour just showing it. And then eventually he gets better at shooting. Okay, now now all he wants to know, he just goal hangs. He's been training. <laughs> he just got, stands like, I watched him on Saturday. It's Sunday. It's Sunday. Oh my God. He just waits on the halfway line. He's there. Pass, he pass. And he just waits. He just wants to score all the time. Yeah. But, he, but that's he's made those decisions himself. Like, I haven't prompted him. I haven't... Sure. When Neil was here, he wanted to be goalie. So mm. when Neil Edwidge came here, he came and visited him. He gave him some gloves. Oh, my God. Every night, 
goalie yeah. practice. We've got the we've got the mattress out, and we're you know you go, oh, I want to. If that's what he wants to do, mate, that's what he wants to do. Yeah, let him be. Yeah, let him be. Like I think people make the assumption that I'm probably the type of parent is going to be, and uh, like what you said earlier about let's test the theory, let's test the theory. Sure. I mean, maybe a little bit, but I definitely think my theory is just backing the hell off. Yeah. And letting him figure things out for himself and enjoy the game. In your experience, that has been perhaps the most effective tact, just to let them, you know, pick it up, pick it up on their own. Uh, again, I'm not going to come across and say, I know it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to come across and say, I know this is the best way. Sure. But in your experience? In my experience, it is the best way. Wow. And that's probably the most difficult thing to do as well, right? I mean, you want to micromanage if you can. I mean, it seems that way that that's what I see from, you know, people who are with young children, that they want to micromanage everything. In yeah. fact, you know, preschool for me, I hear that a lot. There's like, there's a madness going around about which preschool to bring my child, you know, so that they can read better when they're six or seven or so that they can be ahead of the game, you know? I mean, this is what, 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 what parents are getting themselves yeah, yeah, into, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, it's it's a, a difficult environment to want to be the one to be like, you know what, actually the less supervision that you provide them it is actually beneficial to their development. But, but regardless, I, I want to ask- I think so. Yeah, I do. That, that's, that's my philosophy. Right. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. We'll see what happens. <laughs> we'll see it <laughs> you know. a few years and, and you know what? And you know what? If, if he ends up not being a professional footballer, yeah. I'm not going to judge myself mm. and I'm certainly not going to judge my kid. Mm. And he's certainly not going to be a reflection of-, of me mm. he would have made his own decisions and made his own assumptions based on his own experiences right right i'll try to guide him and help him along his way to make um, the environment of football as as pleasing as possible before you sure. go on to your next question the other thing i think is massively massively un under appreciated is why is your kid only playing football right that's right. another one yeah i don't yeah. get that at all play everything yeah, play everything. If you actually, so, and again, Steve Kerr, Steve Kerr had a big uh, article that got a lot of traction recently talking about basketball players. Should play football first. Should play football first. But actually, I listened to the podcast that he did with, um, with a guy from the uh, Way of the Champions. Really, really good interview. And what he was saying is he said, he said I think I mentioned it on another podcast. Um, why are there so many Europeans and South Americans in the NBA? Mm. Why? We should have everyone. <laughs> America should be, it should be just all Americans. Yeah, you yeah. Know, when you work by the numbers, by the amount of money that's invested in the sport there. But what he was saying is a lot of these kids will play multiple sports. So they have a different um, sporting IQ. Right. So the example he gave was Steve Nash would be brilliant underneath the basket. Yeah, yeah. So he said, and he learned that from ice hockey. Mm. So he said, he, said, he said, everything normally is in front of you, right? So if you're, if, you're, if you're defending the net, yeah. everything's in front of you. But it's quite a strange concept to have someone work the back of you or yeah. behind you, like yeah. come from underneath the rim, yeah, so yeah. to speak. And he said he learned that from ice hockey. Mm. So he said he would be quite comfortable like going behind the defense, yeah. work right underneath the rim and then feed things from that position because obviously you're all facing the wrong way then. Right, right. Right? And everyone else is facing the basket on your team. Yeah. That you kind of picture the yeah, scene, right? Yeah, so everyone's yeah. looking at you, and everyone else is facing the basket. So as soon as they, as soon as you pop the ball out, they're facing the hoop. Everyone else is facing the correct, uh, facing in your direction, the opposite yeah. way, back to the back to the receiver. Uh, you know, Manu Ginobili, mm -hmm. another one, like Tony Parker, all played 
other sports, mm. right? Growing up, so it gives them a better um, court vision. I mean, even Steve Nash, uh, unbelievable footballer, by yeah, the way, unbelievable is. footballer. Yeah, proper uh, footballer. Easy, easily could have made played played professionally. By a number of different people have said so, and you can't tell me that football didn't help him increase his vision. No, 100%. I mean, court vision is un un unparalleled. 100%. You know, he's one of the best, you know, in terms of court vision yeah. ever to play in the NBA. Yeah. So what is what is the differentiating factor here? I'm telling you now, football is football and ice hockey, 100%. Yeah. Had a lot to do with it. Definitely get yeah, your kids involved in as many sports as possible, right? I for mean, sure. I mean, it helps in so many different ways. Like, um, I'm a huge advocate for martial arts. I'm a huge yeah. advocate for, for swimming, cycling, all these things. Um, one, it prevents burnout. Yeah. Right? yeah. So that's an important thing. And obviously in injury prevention as well. How many people do I see with uh, getting injuries because it's overuse, mm. like overuse injuries. It's yeah. so common here. Yeah. So common because all you're doing is the same types of movements over and over and over again. Play right. different sports. Yeah. I mean, it's touch wood. I was never injured. Really? Never injured. Did everything growing up. Played football, basketball, cricket, cycle all the time, swam. I'm unbelievable at ping pong. I'm, I'm talking like. Come on. Are you. Are I am you unbelievable at I, I, ping pong. I'm a decent player, man. We got to get a Let's game going. Let's play. We got to get a game Let's going. Let's put a net up. Let's scrap <laughs> this as a play. Uh, un, un, unofficial, unofficial Ascal's all time best table tennis player. Is that right? Yeah. Patrick Reichel thinks he's the best. I am the best. All right. Um, Never lost. But I just think it's massive. Yeah. Just, just play different sports. Don't let your kid burn out. Yeah. Let him enjoy other activities. And then what you'll find is a lot of these other skills will accentuate accentuate your footballing skills. So um, Phil and Gary Neville were talking about they played cricket to a really good level. So Phil Neville apparently was supposed to be his age group, the best cricketer in England. That's what I heard too. Yeah, yeah. amazing. And what he was saying was he, would, he played cricket at, at the men's level from when he was like 11, 12 years old. Wow. Oh, so what he was saying was it teaches you loads of different things. One, cricket is quite a patience sport. Uh, you have to be patient to play the sport. Mm -hmm. So if you're at the crease, so you're batting, you could be batting for three, four hours. So it teaches you to be patient. To, you have to be concentrated all the time because one mm -hmm. mistake and you're out. Okay. Right. So it's a real, like you have to be focused. You have to really channel your, um, your, your mind into the task at hand. But he said the other thing was, he said you're around adults all the time. Yeah. So you're learning that the sort of from the social element how to interact with yeah. grown ups. Yeah. Which is a huge thing. For which sure. Which is a huge thing moving forward. So um I'm a I'm a massive advocate for that. I'm a massive advocate of play, kids playing multiple sports, not just I mean uh, listen, if football's your primary sport, great. But if all you're doing is playing football all day, yeah, every day, somewhere along the line it, there's, there's going to be problems. This is the end of part one of our conversation on youth development. If you enjoyed this conversation, definitely tune in next week to part two. And if you enjoy the content that we provide here on Across the Line, please do subscribe to our YouTube channel, our Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to rate and review and definitely drop us some comments, some questions and suggestions on our Facebook page, our Instagram, and on Twitter. Catch you next week on the next Football Friday.